Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. I want to welcome you to Milestone Church. I want to welcome those of you at our McKinney campus, our Hazlitt campus, here at our Keller campus in our video venue, those of you watching online or those of you watching online later. Thank you for joining us. Would you join me in welcoming them? Great to be with you all. We're continuing this Let's Talk Family series, and family is one of those things in life that's so, so important, but it can be challenging, it can be so difficult. I don't know about your situation, but in mine, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Jed, I have four children, I have a son-in-law, my son-in-law already calls me dad, I've never been able to pull that off, and uh, I have brother, and I have siblings, and in-laws, and I have outlaws, and I have an emotionally needy dog. I don't know if you can relate to those things. But all of those things keep us busy and on our toes and we're trying to manage our families because we care so much about them. But oftentimes they're the people that we end up hurting the most and having to say I'm sorry to and try to process. And you come into an environment like this and you're like, does everybody else have this figured out? Am I the only one who's struggling and challenging in this area? And we feel, honestly, we feel a little awkward. We feel vulnerable. We wish we were better. And we're wondering, does God have help for us in this area? And the great news is he does. We've been spending our time in this series finding practical help to change our families so our families could become more and more of who God created them to be because we know that's what we care about. We all want that. We wish we were better. We wish we didn't need more help because let's be honest, it could be awkward and vulnerable and it's embarrassing to know that you need help. I was thinking about this just the other week. It may surprise you to hear this, but my very first time ever, maybe you've done this in Hazlitt, I uh, went to the dermatologist and I'd never been before. And you might notice that I have an adversarial relationship with the sun. Um, <laughs> maybe more than a lot of you. And so, you know, it's never, it's never great. So you go in there, and i got to be honest with you, I was nervous. I, I, I was nervous, and not just because, you know, you get in there, and they're like, okay, get in your shorts, and then take this thing that looks like a tablecloth and a napkin mixed together, and put that on. And then we'll be back in a minute, and you're like, oh, man, they're going to look me over. And then sure enough, they come in, and they're like, very carefully looking you over to find all the flaws that you have because you know you have them. That'll make you feel bad. It'll make you feel weird. And so we just jumped right into it. And he was like, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. And then he starts spraying this stuff, and he's burning stuff off me, and then he's looking at stuff, and I think a needle came out, and he put a needle in my neck, and I was like, what's happening? And he's like, oh, yeah, there's some spots we got to look at. And pretty soon he goes, look at this, and he shows it to me, and it's a thing he just cut off. And he's like, how you doing? I was like, well, I was doing good. He goes, you look a little lightheaded. I was like, yeah, I'm nauseous. He's like, okay. He talks to his little assistant there, and he's like, we got to help him. Let's take care of him. And, and he looks at me. He goes like, what do you like? Do you like grape or apple? I thought he was talking about juice. He hands me a sucker. I'm on the table in my little gown with a sucker going, my wife is sitting right there laughing so hard she's going to pee her pants. I was like, this is awesome. Why didn't I do this sooner? This is great. Like, I'd love to just hang out here. And he was trying to help me, and he was helping me, and I'm supposed to go see the dermatologist. You're like, why are you telling us this other than it's funny? Well, I think sometimes 
We come into a place like a church setting and we go, is everybody else looking at me for my flaws? Are they looking at my, I, I want my family to have help, but I don't wanna be so vulnerable and so open that everybody can see the mistakes I'm making, that everybody can see where I've blown it. I, I, I want help, but I don't know if I want it that bad because what I have to go through to get that help sure makes me feel like I'm not good enough and I don't know what I'm doing and it feels like everybody else is so much better than me. But the good news is that's not God's heart towards you and that's not us as a church family. That's not our heart towards you. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's okay. We're gonna put it up on the screen. We're gonna start in verse 21. Jesus is gonna speak to this thing that's gonna help our families more than anything else. You say, Jed, well, if that's true and my family needs help and, and I don't know how to talk about it, and, and the truth is we're not good at talking to each other, period. A recent study that came out this week said that it, when a husband and a wife both work, with the amount of time, when they both have a job, the amount of time that a husband and wife spend talking to each other over the course of a week is only 35 minutes on average. We're having a hard time even talking about it with each other. And you're saying, well, can, can God help us? Yes, he can, but he has to get us to a place where we, where we admit we need help. And you say, Jed, what's, what's the key? What's the ingredient? And I would simply say it this way. Every healthy family needs what every healthy person needs, and that's the ability to forgive. Because the truth is, we are gonna hurt our family. We are gonna blow it. We are gonna say things that we're, we're not proud of. We are gonna have moments where, where we hurt them and we don't mean to and, and they hurt us and we're gonna have to figure out how do we move forward? And I love the fact that the Bible speaks so directly to this. There's multiple passages in the New Testament on our way to Matthew 18 where the Bible gives specific instructions says, husbands, you should do this, and wives, you should do this, and children, you should do this. And one of those places is Colossians 3. And when Paul's getting ready to give some of those specific instructions, he's speaking to the whole family. Look what he says, Colossians 3.13. It simply says this, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. I don't know about your family, but in every family I've been around, somebody has a grievance against someone at all times. So what do we do about it? Do we just try hard to be nice? Do we make them pay? Is there a process? No. It says forgive. Here's the key. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And the truth is, you might come into a church environment, maybe you're watching online, and, or, or maybe you're out at the video venue and you're thinking, okay, well, if they really saw my family, you know, sometimes we get prayer requests and they're like, here's what my family needs. We need, to, we need to just pray more as a family. And we know you're just dipping your toe in and what you really mean is we need to stop tearing each other down. We need to stop yelling at each other. We need to stop fighting. And you say, you don't wanna say that because you're like, we're the only family who's like that. But the truth is, every family in the Bible has challenges and problems, starting with the very first family. When it was just Adam and Eve, they had marriage issues just between the two of them. The very first siblings, Cain and Abel, one killed the other. You, you may have challenging relationships with, with your spouse. Well, you probably didn't do what Abraham did multiple times. When he was next to a king, a king goes, who's that really attractive woman that's with you? Looks like your wife. He's like, nope, that's my sister. He did that twice. I don't know how you pull that off twice and stay married, but somehow Abraham did. Maybe you have an awkward relationship with your in-laws, probably not as awkward as Jacob. He worked for a long time to, for his father-in-law to, to get his bride, and on the wedding night, his father-in-law pulled the switcheroo. And apparently the Bible, Jacob's like, you got me, and he stayed with her. I don't understand that. That makes really awkward Thanksgiving dinner conversations. 
You think maybe I have problems with my siblings? You're not the only one. Joseph's brothers said, we don't like you. We don't like how much dad loves you. We're getting rid of you. They start with, we're gonna bully you, beat you up. Then they ended up, we'll, we'll kill them and throw them in a pit. And we're not even out of the first book of the Bible, and this is the picture of what families are like. So wherever your family's at, let me just tell you, there's hope. There's a way forward. God sees you and he says, I can move and I can work in your family if you'll trust me and you'll learn how to forgive. Which brings us back to Matthew chapter 18. Great chapter in the Bible. Jesus is talking here about families, but he's also talking about the church. You're like, is he talking about the family or is he talking about the church? And the answer is yes. He's talking about all of it because when God talks about his family, when God talks about the church, he uses those things interchangeably and this discussion they're having starts with, in Matthew 18, their, their family is sitting around maybe like your family would do or the disciples were gathering and this happens at our house on game night and on other nights, but it's just like, who's the greatest? Anybody competitive? We're competitive at our house. There's a lot of trash talk flying around at all the times and sometimes it's the kids doing it. Anyways, um, Mom and dad. Any, anyways, thanks for joining us. Um, there's challenges. Like, who's the greatest? And, and, and Jesus said, well, it's the one who's humble. It's the one who's humble like a child. Then he starts talking about when the church comes together, what should they be like? Well, they should they love each other as brothers and sisters. And if you have a problem with someone, go to them. Not to somebody else. Go to them. Because what we have to maintain more than anything else is unity. And so they're having this discussion, and the, and the people are starting to get it. And so Peter, I love Peter, because he comes to Jesus, and just whatever's in his head just comes out of his mouth. I don't know if you can relate to that. I can. And so Peter comes to Jesus, and here in verse 21, he said, Peter came to Jesus, and he asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? That is the question. How many times do we have to do it? How many times until we get to make them pay or we get to put them on trial or we get to have a family meeting? And so Peter knew the answer. Peter knew that in that day, you probably don't know this, but in that day it was customary, a righteous person, according to the rabbis, a righteous person would forgive their brother or sister three times a day. So Peter being an overachiever, he doubles it and adds one. He says up to seven times. He thinks he's gonna impress Jesus and Jesus comes back and he says, Jesus answered, I tell you, you, not seven times, but 77 times. Maybe your Bible says seven times 70. And I remember hearing this as a young man and thinking, well, man, that's a lot to count. And what if you started counting and you had to start over? And I thought Jesus was just trying to give a big arbitrary number about how many times we need to forgive so that we get so natural at it that we lose count. But, but actually, I think that's part of what he's saying. But he's saying something even more profound. Because Jesus understood what I was just telling you a moment ago. Every family in the Bible has challenges. And when Jesus combines this seven and 77 or 70 times seven, he didn't pick that arbitrarily. He's going all the way back to the book of Genesis where there's a little side note about a man named Lamech. Lamech was a man who had a whole different view on family. Lamech was the first man in the Bible to have more than one wife. And one of the things that we know, the only thing really that we know Lamech said to his family, to his wives was, if Cain was avenged seven times, I will be avenged 70 times seven. Lamech said, here's my rule of family. When a young man comes and wounds me, I will kill him. And when someone comes against me, I will take Vengeance. Jesus isn't giving us arbitrary numbers. Jesus is saying, you have a choice. Do you want the world's family 
or do you want my family? And here's the truth. Make no mistake, the family of Lamech is alive and well in the earth. There are far too many families and far too many peoples who say, if you come at me with a knife, I'm coming at you with a gun. If you come at me to wound me, I'm coming at you to kill me. That is the broken essence of human nature. And our messaging in our culture says, stick up for you, stick up for your truth. Don't let anyone take advantage of you. And the King of Kings, Jesus himself says, if you wanna be in my family, the only way to be in my family is to forgive. Totally different spirit. I believe our world needs that now more than ever. Families that say, we're not going with the family of Lamech, where we're looking for vengeance according to our own standards of justice. We're coming in the family of Jesus, where we love and we forgive so many times that we don't even bother to keep count of how many times we freely say, I forgive you. That produces a totally different kind of a family. Jesus continues, he says, I really want you guys to get it. He did what he would often do. He says, it's kind of like this story. He tells a story, it's pretty familiar. You may have heard this story. He says, it's like a king who's going to settle his accounts and he's looking and he finds a man who owes him 10,000 talents or 10,000 bags of gold. You may not know what that value is. It's pretty mind-blowing. Best as we can tell, one talent was 20 years of labor, the wages for 20 years of labor. So when this man owes 10,000 talents, he owes 200,000 years of wages from labor. It's a number that could never, ever be repaid. The king brings a servant into his midst and says, how will you repay this? Will your family repay it? Will you repay it? The man falls on his knees and says, please, please give me mercy. And in the act of radical generosity, this king goes, out of my love, out of my pity, I will forgive you of this debt. And this man is forgiven. Now the fascinating thing is what does this man do to respond? Does he throw a celebration? Does he worship God with his family? Does he tell anybody who could hear, I once was in debt and now I've been set free? No. He goes from that place of forgiveness and he pursues someone who owes him about 100 silver coins roughly about the equivalent in today's world, $12,000, roughly about that. And he finds this person, he says, pay it back to me now, and then he begins to choke them until they give him back what he's owed. The king hears from the other servants that this is happening. Look what the Bible says in verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all this debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. How do you pay back something you could never repay while you're in jail? The answer is you can't. Look what Jesus says. This is heavy. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister not by the number of times, not according to the rules, but from your heart. It's heavy. That's life or death. That's pretty intense. It's about as big as it gets. So you're like, Jed, can you make this simple? Can you summarize it for it? Here's what I would say. I would say if we're thinking about what Jesus is telling us, what we have to come to terms with is the only way to be accepted into God's family is forgiveness. 
It's the only way. This is what God's family is like. And maybe if I were to try to make it even more practical for you, I'd say it this way. Genuine forgiveness is not optional in a godly home. It's not up for a vote. It's not up to be decided. It's not up to be reinterpreted based on what the offense was. If you're gonna build a home, if you're gonna build a family according to God's pattern, what you're saying is, this house, this home will be a place where we forgive genuinely from the heart. And I know that's hard. I know that's difficult. I know you might say, Jed, that's easy for you to say, and it's not really because the truth is, no one sees us, no one knows us, no one loves us, and no one can hurt us like family. We're celebrating today. Celebrating the accomplishments of all these grads. We're so proud of you guys. Here's what I know though. Somewhere along the way, those grads, you, you, you hurt your parents. And your parents may have said things that hurt you. Especially when you're young. Because you have these thing, we have these things in our family. I have them in mind, you have them in yours. You may not know what they're called. I learned it recently. It's called the ultra crepidarian. Oh yeah, they're out there. Here's what an ultra crepidarian is. It's someone with a very strong opinion on subject matter that they have no expertise in. <laughs> it's a real thing. You got them in your home, I got a couple in mine. Don't tell them, he's sitting right over there. Anyways, <laughs> we have strong opinions. We think we're right, we talk out of our mouths and we don't know what we're saying and then we create problems and drama and there's challenges and there's difficulty and every family has it. When the family gets together, somebody's feelings getting hurt, and so what do you do about it? And a lot of times we're like, they need to know, they need to pay, they need to hear, but they didn't need it. And God's family says, we forgive. We let it go. We don't bring guns to knife fights. We don't escalate. We don't turn twos into tens. We take tens emotionally and turn them into twos because we're a people who forgive. I remember years ago, reading a book called Blink by a brilliant guy named Malcolm Gladwell, and he talked about these people, and I really remembered it because it was this lab, they called it the Love Lab, and it was at the University of Washington. And I'm from the state of Washington, my wife actually graduated from the University of Washington, she's a Husky, that's their mascot, you gotta be really careful talking about the family, she is a Husky. Okay, anyways, here's the thing, I'm gonna just move on. Don't mess with that. So she knows that she's proud of it, and so go dogs off, that whole deal. But, but the love lab at the University of Washington, John Gottman is the doctor's name. Here's what he said. He said, I can observe a, a spouse, a couple, together, interacting, and in a short amount of time, watching them interact, I can figure out whether or not in five years they're gonna be together with a greater than 90% accuracy. And then they realized it didn't even take 15 minutes. In 90 seconds, he could watch the way a couple, a family interacted, and he could tell you whether or not they would stay together. Do you wanna know how he knew? I'm gonna tell you. Here's what he found. The three most common responses when a family interacts, when a spouse, when spouses interact, the number one most common way that they interact is when there's a situation, one of them turns away. There's a misunderstanding, there's an offense, there's a hurt, there's a pain. And, and you turn away, you look the other way, you go deeper into your work, you get be busier with your life, you go busier in your schedule, you go passive aggressive, you disengage, you, say, you give them the silent treatment, you say, 
I don't have the energy. I'm not going there with you. I could talk to you about it, but you wouldn't listen anyways. And so there's a turning away. That's the first most common way that most families act in these situations. The second way is to turn against. It's a smaller group of you, but many of you, when you're hurt, when you're offended, it's not flight, it's fight. And so you go right at them. You do this and you always, and there's a tension there. And he said, neither one of those responses are what you're looking for. What we're looking for is the third one, which is not turn away and it's not turn against, it's turn toward with a genuine engagement that says, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I wasn't perfect and I know I didn't do it right and I know this is costly and I know it's painful and I know we've, we've been struggling, but I'm here and I'm here for you and I'm gonna engage and I'm gonna work with you and I'm gonna listen and I'm gonna grow. He said, no matter how many problems they have, if the family turns toward each other, there's hope for them moving forward. And the only way anyone has the capacity to turn toward is if they learn how to love and forgive. Your ability to forgive, I believe this, is the single greatest indicator of your spiritual maturity. Not how much Bible you know, not how many events you go to, not how long you've been a quote unquote Christian, but your ability to forgive because your ability to forgive shows how deeply you're connected to God's forgiveness of you because let's be honest, we're all that servant who owed a debt we could never pay. And there's a king who looked at us and out of his mercy, he said, I set you free. Now go be free with those who've wronged you. And I, I'm telling you, it's, it's hard. It's maybe harder than it's ever been. And really as dads, we have a responsibility to create this culture in the home, not because we're perfect, not because we don't hurt other people's feelings, not because we don't have to have moments where we ask for forgiveness or we forgive others. But we gotta set the tone, because if we don't go first, the family won't follow. So the other day, we were talking about this as a family, and I was asking them, I was like, what have you guys been hurt recently? Where have been some challenges that you've had to work through? How can I get better in helping us to, to, to create an environment where we forgive one another? And my oldest daughter, she said, you know, Dad, there was one thing that really bothered me. I said, okay, let's talk about it. She said, you know that my senior year of college didn't really go how I wanted it to go. I had all these plans. And, and, and you know, I, I ended up having to be at home here while we were going, finishing my senior year, and the whole family was there, and you and mom were there, and Luke and Lila, those are our little brother and sister, 10 and 11, and then Elijah was there, 16, and, and, and it came time for my big senior thesis, and I had to do it over Zoom, but I got all dressed up, and I worked really hard on it, and I had all these really insightful things that I was gonna say to my professors and my classmates, and so we were going through the Zoom, and all that was happening, and, and I was at the key moment where I was giving my really profound insight, and my, my daughter did amazing. She graduated with honors in three years, so she had a right to feel strong about what she was doing, and she said, Dad, when it came to the crescendo moment, I'm talking to my panel, my professors, and all of a sudden on the Zoom call, and I know they heard it because the little light flickered, everyone heard you shout, Luke, where is your underwear? <laughs> and I said, sorry, baby. Um, yeah, that's bad. That's a bad, you're right. That's a bad one. I'm sorry. You probably have a right to feel bad. You work really hard on it. But let me just tell you something. I don't know if you know what it's like to be dad, but I didn't wake up that morning going, you know what I hope I get to ask today at a loud decibel level so that everybody, even professors, can hear, Luke, where's your underwear? But I don't know if you know this or not. Have you met your brother? That is a question that must be asked. It's true. Somebody after one of the earlier services goes, where did his underwear go? We were like, we don't know, because he doesn't usually wear them, and it's, a, it's one of those deals. But as a family, we're just trying to make it happen. 
And that's a silly one, but there's moments. We all have moments where expectations and hopes and hurts and do we have the ability to, to actually offer forgiveness, to actually say, hey, I was hoping for this and you said this and, and that same Luke last night, he said, dad, the other night you were saying something and you were saying this and, this and you said this and dad, it really hurt me. I said, son, I'm sorry if I hurt you. I was only trying to love you and coach you. Will you forgive me? And man, I, I gotta tell you, it, it's not easy to say that. In your flesh, in your pride, you're like, who are you to tell me that I hurt you? You know, we learned, I, and my daddy did the best he could, but he would say stuff to me like, quit your crying before I give you something to cry about. And in the family, we have to learn how, no, 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 no. And he loved me, and he, he showed me the word and valued me so much, and, and so I'm so grateful. But as we move forward, how do we grow? How do we get better at offering forgiveness? And before I pray for you, I want to make it practical. How do we experience forgiveness? Well, the first thing is we have to know what it is and what it's not. What is forgiveness? Well, forgiveness, I would say it this way. What forgiveness is, is the conscious choice to give up your right to make things right. It's a conscious choice. You're the only one who can make it. And you say, I could hold on to bitterness. I could hold on to hurt. I could hold on to offense. But out of my trust for Jesus, I'm gonna choose to let this thing go and I'm not gonna carry it any longer. And you're like, Jed, but, but what if they hurt you? What if they keep hurting you? That's not the question. The question is, will you give up your right because ultimately you trust someone deeper than you trust your own ability to make it right? Back to Ephesians 4.32, another one of these sections. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Look at this. Just as in Christ God forgave you. There's no technique, there's no willpower, there's no human justice that can satisfy the hurt and offense in a human heart. The only place to find genuine forgiveness is from the overflow of the forgiveness you've received from God himself. I, I don't know about you, I'm the kind of person who likes to make my case. I have plenty of opinions and plenty of thoughts. And my number one strategy with my family is usually when they do something wrong, I'll lay out the case of all the ways they did it wrong and why they're wrong. And I think if I can just be persuasive enough, they'll go, Dad, you're amazing. Or honey, you're so smart. You're right, I'm wrong. It's never once happened one time. <laughs> but when I stop, I make that conscious choice, and I say, Jesus, this isn't about me and me being right. This is about me letting it go the way you let my offense, the way you let my rebellion, the way you let my lying and my deception and the idolatry in my heart, you let that go so in the same way I'm gonna let it go and trust you're gonna do what I could never do. It's amazing how in those moments, a child or a spouse or a brother or a sister-in-law will come to me and say, you know what, Jed, I'm so sorry. God was just showing me that I really need to love you better or do this. Or I, they do and God does what I could never do. And it's in that moment where I let it go. That's what forgiveness really is. Here's what forgiveness is not. You're like, Jed, well, that sounds so hard. Well, it is hard, but let me be clear. Forgiveness is not forgetting. We like to say forgive and forget, but if you forget, you haven't really forgiven. You say, how do I know if I'm carrying bitterness? How do I know if I'm carrying offense? Well, if a person who hurt you were to show up could you go up to them? Could you be kind to them? Could you extend grace to them? If not, you probably haven't sorted through what you're carrying in your heart towards them. 
Because forgiving is not forgetting. Forgetting is, I don't even remember you did that. Forgiveness is, I remember exactly what you did, but I've chosen to let it go. The second thing is not, it's not an invitation to ongoing abuse. It's situations where there's physical or emotional uh, uh, or verbal abuse. You don't just keep putting yourself in that situation as an invitation to be abused over and over and over again. No, you forgive them, but then you remove yourself from the situation. It's also not, this is a hard one for people in authority. It's not an endorsement of sinful behavior. We're afraid if we forgive them, somehow they'll say, well, what I did was okay. I could do whatever I want. I could live however I want. No, it's not that. It's just saying that I'm forgiving you for what you did because I'm trusting that ultimately I'm not the one who can make it right. God will make it right. One of the things I think is difficult for us is we think forgiveness is a guarantee of a restored relationship. It's not. Sometimes that happens, but many times it doesn't because the last one is also true. Forgiveness is not rebuilt trust. That's something totally different. Forgiveness is extended freely no matter what the other person does. Trust is mutual. Trust is built over time. If you'll get this, if you'll understand the difference between these two things, it's amazing how you can work back in your soul over any of the things that have bothered you all the way back to your childhood and be set free from whatever you've been carrying. That's how good and how real the grace and freedom of God is. You know, when you live this way, it changes you. Less anxiety, less stress, better sleep, more healthy relationships, before the other person does anything, we're just talking about you. You begin to experience life at this totally different level, the way God wants you to experience life. I was thinking about this this week. I heard a stat, another research stat, I love this one, I told my wife probably 10 times. I heard that husbands who kiss their wives before they go to work, on average, live five years longer than those who don't. So I added two or three, I was like, I'm going 10 or 15. I was saying that, and a guy on our team was like, wow, Pastor Jed, that's incredible. And his wife was sitting right there. He goes, babe, get ready. And without missing a beat, she goes, I've been ready. (laughs) Just a little change. Just that little sense of like, I'm going to start with the heart of, no matter what happened, no matter what you said, my number one operating position is grace and forgiveness and love. And it comes from us. Here's the second thing. We practice it continuously. Practice it continuously. I use that word on purpose. Why do you practice anything? Because you want to get better at it. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I want to get better, and this is available to all of us, and we can use it right now, right after the service, on your way out of the building. Uh, If you're online, you could send a text. You could do it. You could experience this right now, but maybe you want a little bit more. Maybe you want more practice. Well, we have an environment. We call it Freedom Groups, and and we're getting ready to start them March 22nd. It's a nine-week small group, and many of you have experienced the benefit of that. And our team's out there and all of our campuses and they're ready to get you involved. And if you're ready to jump in, maybe you've heard about that and and you didn't get to it before, maybe this could be your moment. Maybe this is your first time hearing about it. I heard about a story about a couple there recently at Freedom. And the wife went and she was excited to go through because there were some things she was just working through. She was coming to the end and she was like, I want to get everything that my husband's done against me, I want to just let that go or this person's done against me. And she got in that last session and she was asking God, what what do I need to let go? Uh, What do I need to let go of how others wronged me? She said what the Lord really showed me was where I needed to ask forgiveness for where I've hurt others. And unsolicited, nobody other than Jesus told her to do this. 
She, after she was done, took her husband out to dinner and said, I just want to say sorry for all these ways that I've hurt you. That's a picture of freedom. And how many know that marriage is more free than it's been before? That home is more free, and that's available to any of us. So we have to practice it. And, and, and it's really simple. I want to make it as practical as I can. How does forgiveness work? Well, number one, it starts in you. You decide. You don't have to wait for the person who hurt you. Whatever hurt, whatever wound, whatever offense you're carrying, you decide, I want this to stop. I want this to be the end of this. And if you say, I'm ready to be free from this, you can be free. And then the second thing is, you direct it to God. See, a lot of times we get confused, we get nervous. It's like, okay, I gotta go to this person and we try to prepare what we're gonna say. It's a terrible idea. Think about it for a second. Like, if you go to the person who hurts you and be like, okay, I don't know if you know this or not, but you really hurt me and God and I have been talking about it and I have decided that you are now forgiven. (laughs) It doesn't go well, right? You You just skip that whole part. Maybe that part happens, maybe it doesn't. What really happens in you, one lady said it this way, see, unforgiveness And bitterness, she said it's like drinking rat poison and expecting the rat to die. It hurts you. So it starts in you, and then you give it to God and say, God, I'm not carrying this any longer. They may not even know they hurt you. Maybe they did, but your freedom is not dependent upon somebody else. Your freedom is dependent upon your ability to say, Jesus, not one more day am I carrying this. I give this to you. And then what that actually does is it produces in you freedom, freedom in your soul. That freedom doesn't just stay in your soul. That freedom is available in your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children. You you say, well, what if they don't get free? Well, you don't worry about them. You worry about you. And the more free you become, the more your home begins to change, the more your environments begin to change. You say, Jed, how do I do that? Is there another one of those research studies? Is there another one of those willpower strategies? How does it work? Well, it's really simple. Our ability to be free comes back to our ability to understand how much we've been forgiven. We are that man who owed a debt. We are that woman who owed a debt they could never pay. Maybe someone told you that a relationship with Jesus was trying really hard to do spiritual things to offset the debt that you've incurred against God. That's not the message of Jesus. Over in Hazlitt, you're watching online. That's good news. That makes you feel guilty. You say, Jed, why do I feel guilty? You feel guilty the same reason I do. We feel guilty because we are guilty. But Jesus didn't leave us in our guilt. He saw a debt we could never pay. And he said, I have a perfect relationship with my father. I've never lied, I've never stolen, I've never put anything above him. I've forgiven freely from my heart. That same relationship that I have, not because you could earn it or you deserve it, I'm giving it to you. And in giving it to you, I'm inviting you to extend that grace to others and watch the freedom that happens in your soul. Freedom's available for you, it's available for me. As a dad, what do I want more than anything else? I want my children to share that freedom with each other, to forgive each other, to love each other. I want my grandchildren, I want my family line to be a place where, not out of willpower, not out of religious pride, but out of a gratitude for Jesus who loved them when they weren't lovable, that they would extend that grace. And our family doesn't become perfect Our family doesn't stop hurting each other, but our family becomes a place where grace and forgiveness brings freedom and peace that's available no other way. Let's pray. Jesus, we're grateful for your presence. Lord, your word says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. God, we want your spirit in our homes. We want your spirit in our marriages. 
We want your spirit in our relationship with our children and our siblings and our parents. God, we want that more than anything else. We're looking for peace in a world filled with vengeance and anger and bitterness. We want to be the family of God where love and forgiveness changes everything. Maybe you've never received that from Jesus. Maybe this is your day where you say, I'm letting go of my hurt, my offense, my guilt, my shame. I'm letting it all go to receive Jesus. Right there, just in your own words, say, Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you. I ask for you to forgive me of my sin and become my Jesus. Come into my life just in your own words. If you prayed that prayer, tell somebody about it after the service. Maybe you've already prayed that prayer. You want that freedom. You want that peace. You want that forgiveness to impact every relationship in your life. It's available to you. Jesus, help us to be your family that loves and forgives and demonstrates your love for each other to a broken and dying world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.